welcome, my friends. Welcome to my world. You're listening to This Week in Homelessness with Daniel McDonald. It's Saturday, March 28, 2020. In this podcast, we're going to talk about all things homeless, discussing issues such as the current news, commentary and analysis on current homeless topics, and ideas and solutions in your community. And you, you can view this show on YouTube or listen on your favorite podcast providers such as Apple or iHeartRadio. Even in challenging times, there is hope, and the voices of our city choir in San Diego, California, have raised the homeless San Diegans' voices through their performance and advocacy. And what started out as a grassroots effort has blossomed into a choir with about 160 regular participants who have performed at a slew of events, and they've even collaborated with the San Diego Symphony Orchestra. Anyway, today, very special guest, my first guest on my podcast. I'm very, um, very honored to you, for you to join us here today. Is uh, he is the he leads the voices of our city choir in San Diego. He's raised the voices of homeless advocacy. He was named a Voice of the Year in 2018, and you can follow our guest on at uh, SD Homeless Voice and on their website at voicesofourcity.org. I'd like to welcome John Brady to the podcast live from San Diego, California. John, could you tell us a little bit about the the choir and how you become involved and, and what is your mission and what you do? So, uh, yeah, I'm happy to. Three, I, I actually coming up on four years ago, I was uh, <clears throat> coming, I was, had, was coming to the middle point of a of a, of a one year stint on the streets of San Diego. I had uh, uh, come to San Diego to purchase a boat. I'd lost it in a storm uh, and had issues with depression and addiction, and uh, ended up on the street for a year. And you know, it's, I I had a an, uh, a pretty amazing life up to that point. And I really had paid a substantial amount of taxes into the system and, and honestly was stunned at how little we're doing for people that are suffering on our streets. And I still continue to be frustrated to this day. The choir started out in, uh, uh, at a church, which was uh, on the same block that I had been habitating on here in San Diego. I came in just to help set up sound, never had any intentions to really sing uh, or to get involved uh, other than helping them with their audio setup and, you know, doing the soundboard every week. And ultimately, uh, as the choir grew, I grew with it. We ended up sheltering 14 people off the street, including myself, uh, thanks to a very generous patron who offered the downstairs space in her uh, work lib space. Um, and was also uh, an individual who, her name is Martha Sullivan, who was very involved in uh, political lobbying and and uh, various issues such as homeless rights, uh, criminal justice reform, environmental issues. And really that, uh, taking 14 people off the street during that period of time is what in her, into her space is what led us to create this sort of advocacy driven approach because at that point you know if you went to city council very rarely did you see uh anybody speaking on behalf of the homeless who were actually homeless 
you might see advocates. And that's where I think a lot of this changed uh, pretty dynamically for the city. And so here we are four years later. We've got, you know, 160 members, as you mentioned, a very active advocacy program with 10 to 15 regular participants every month. We train people on how to advocate in front of city council, how to speak in front of county board of supervisors, the MTS board, and uh, and we encourage them uh, to participate in the solution. Yeah, let me just uh, let me show everyone here uh, a brief clip. This is a promo from your uh, choir. Um, just, just I, the old uh, picture that it paints a, a thousand words. Just want to show everyone this because uh, your work is quite frankly amazing. Take a look. John, that is uh, that's pretty amazing. Uh, just out of curiosity, do you or any of you, do you or your members have any musical training, choir training, or is this people who who kind of um, kind of learn and grow into the role? So, uh, a little bit of background of what you just saw. That was actually a video promo that we did together. Uh, a- it, with the uh, for some various uh, music industry folks up in LA, and uh, for our publicist, um, we we uh, to answer your question, we have people with all different backgrounds. So not only does our choir comprise of people who are currently living on the streets, we also have people that uh, I, I think meant the number in that uh, in that video was fifty some odd people. Uh, right, uh, or 48 people. Currently, we're close. We're close to 60 uh, folks that have gotten off the street. So people that are in shelter but still living on the edge or in poverty. And then a third of our membership are people who have never experienced homelessness. All of them uh, could have strong musical backgrounds, uh, but for the most part, everybody's either a beginner or you know they sang in a choir when they were kids. Uh, so that's and that was myself. So really. Uh, we come in, we accept people. At the, it's not like an audition process. Uh, right. We accept people where they are and invite them in. And uh, and then we teach people how to sing and harmonize uh, using – we, we don't read music. Mo- most of the choir members don't read music. We actually teach in a way that people learn music without having to be able to read it. Yeah, no, that's uh, – that's it's um, you know your work is is amazing um 
How did being in the choir, how is that, uh, what is the link or what is the process of the, your members? How do most of them get uh, get off the streets? Uh, do they uh, so, job or uh, housing if, or how do they do that? So basically, if, if Steph were here, she would tell you, Steph is one of the co-founders of the choir and she's now our executive director. And she would tell you that that when the choir was started, it was simply, she was a musician uh, and she and another choir director and the pastor at the church where we rehearse uh, were both act, were all three active doing outreach on the streets. Uh, she and our co-founder met they decided to, and the pastor offered his space as a place to to uh, rehearse every other week. Never was it intended to become a not-for-profit. And certainly our business plan at that point, if you wanted, if there was one, was not to uh, was not to create a social services agency to the level that we did. It evolved into that. The advocacy evolved naturally as we began getting people that were in our shelter into uh, more permanent housing situations. We started providing food delivery and uh, and and case management because we needed case management to to assist with the process with our other partner, service provider partners to get people through the system because it's very complicated and bifurcated and they're just so it's it, we found that we needed to walk through our our membership so anybody can come in off the street there everybody's welcome sheltered or unsheltered whatever your socioeconomic situation is and after people become comfortable with this if they are unsheltered on the street or struggling they can actually sign up for our case management services that we pay for out of the performance fees and our fundraising and we will uh, walk with them through the process of recovery and that includes staying with them uh through after they've been placed into housing so we become sort of like a family network uh and social network for these four folks who are homeless recovering from homelessness returning to work uh we're a source of encouragement and light for people that really don't ha don't get that one-on-one -on -one love yeah could you describe your own episode of homelessness what that was like what you went through kind of some of the challenges you have out there in san diego when you're on the streets so you know things are quite different now from the period of time that I was on the streets of San Diego, I I actually say quite frequently in front of city council and in public uh, in 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 public spaces that if I was on the streets now, as opposed to then, I'm not sure I'd still be with us today, and that's because the 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 city here used to allow you to sort of stabilize in an area, and as long as you kept your 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 space clean and weren't a, a, a distraction to neighbors, et cetera. They, they really weren't largely doing sweeps to the intensity that we see today. Um, so it, it was, it was reasonable, but it was also still challenging from the perspective of, you know, you never knew whether or not the police were going to roll up on you on, on you in the morning uh, early in the morning and write you a ticket or, or tell you to move on. And uh, the never ending question of, well, where do I go? Of course, could never be answered because they can't tell you where to go because we don't have a place for people to go. And so, you know, there was a lot of cat and mouse sort of gamemanship with law enforcement and city officials because of that. 
Um, but it was it was more manageable. You could create a stable network of people on your block, so to speak, and and know that you could depend on them when you needed to go run errands. They could watch your things. You know, you could leave your encampment in place. That's not the situation that we have at all right now. And that's largely because of the response to the Hep A epidemic. Uh, the city used that uh, opportunity to really start these intensive uh, homeless sweeps uh, and cleanups, which still continue today. Uh, they don't allow tents to go up at night. If you if you put one up, you're probably going to end up getting a ticket. Uh, and that's still continuing to this day, uh, even during COVID-19 against CDC recommendations. Yes, yeah, so, and that's good. That's Good they mentioned the CDC recommendations. They are currently suggesting don't clear encampments, um, is which they are, seem to be doing there. Are they doing anything else? Are they providing any other space for the, for the people that need shelter right now? Are they opening up any additional facilities or camps? So I, I, I don't know if we didn't cover this before we got on the interview, but I, I, uh, I, I have four different roles now within the city uh, in terms of leadership. I sit on the, on the board of the regional task force on homelessness. I'm on the, the uh, Yigby task force, which is a, a development effort to build faith-based, uh, to build housing on faith-based property, low-income housing on faith-based properties. I am also in the uh, on the homeless court steering committee, as well as we created the the city of San Diego created a homeless uh, implement, a homeless plan, uh, uh, and I'm on the leadership team working with the mayor Nathan Fletcher's office, as well as the regional task force, to implement that uh, that plan over the course of the next five years, and we are. Uh, the, I believe we're ahead of the game when it comes to the the, the sheltering solutions uh, in regards to COVID-19. We are we're the first COC in America to reach out to HUD and FEMA for guidance and and financial support, uh, and uh, we have been uh, actively uh, uh, planning as we're working with the county and the city to open up the convention center here and make it a shelter. Uh, expandable to whatever numbers of people are willing to come inside. Uh, where we've not done done a good job at, to date is is with our enforcement uh, policies. We're still, uh, you know, sleep deprivation and the ability to shelter in, spa- in 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 place as opposed to continuously wandering around the city because you're forced to do that right now is is really creating a high risk situation for our unsheltered population. Um, we do have a, bu- a number of hotel rooms and more coming online for people that are in high risk categories over 55 with a pre uh, pre existing condition or over 65 uh, with or without a pre existing condition. But we don't have enough of those resources online yet. Um, uh, although we're moving, I believe, as quickly as humanly possible, because, of course, when you bring on those resources, you have to provide food, you need to provide nursing services, you need to provide case management. You know, you can't just throw somebody into a convention center or a hotel room and say, wash your hands and say, I'm done. Yeah, do you see any kind of parallels or with COVID-19 and 
Hep A. San Diego is hit very hard with hepatitis A. There were many fatalities here in Florida where I am. It was we had an outbreak. It's not quite as bad, but were any lessons learned from the Hep A out, uh, outbreak in San Diego with COVID, or with his apples and oranges? What's, what do you think about that issue? Well, so I guess you could say on the plus side that that you know it's interesting. We had just started winding it down and removing most of the wash stations and uh, and. Uh, uh, portable toilet systems that we'd put in place for the homeless population. But the good news, when COVID-19 evolved, we were we had the system in place to procure it. So we were able to very quickly get those those back out on the streets. And in fact, we're even we're adding more than have ever been available. Unfortunately, the lessons learned, the way that we applied our Hep A policies continuously after Hep A had had become we you know we do not allow stable encampments in any way shape or form we're very aggressive with our sweeps here both on city county and state land and uh and unfortunately while that those camp cleanups and and uh, policies were really really good for hep a because of its particular transmission uh pro- properties we, it's not for COVID-19. We should be allowing people to stay in place wherever they are uh, and, and, and encouraging using this time to educate people because unlike Hep A, which a lot of people, it's a known known and people were aware that it was a threat in the community, COVID-19 is an unknown known. And, and right now, instead of using, you know, with with this COVID-19, we've seen a 20 to 40 percent staff reduction in outreach and shelter uh, and, and shelter staffing uh, because people are out or in high risk categories at the same. And so really the only uh, consistent uh, uh, force out there engaging is our police department. And instead of being out there educating and building trust, we're still writing tickets for for people leaving their tents up and clearing encampments and doing a lot of stuff that's creating further distrust. And this isn't the police. I, I don't believe for one second that the police want to be doing this. This is being directed by our leadership within the city. Does your police have any, like what I do is, is homeless outreach. Does your police have any that do outreach or try to find solutions rather than issue tickets and et cetera? Yes, we do. We do have a homeless outreach team. Unfortunately, in our situation, and I'm not sure what it's like in your city, but they, they they drive around in in the in pretty much the same vehicles, uh, even though they say hot team on them. They're in the same uniforms. They're you know it's not there isn't a relationship of trust. And quite frankly, right now those hot teams don't have we we we've shut down incremental access to our shelters in large part because we're getting ready to transition over to the convention center and because we've got to reduce density in our existing shelters. Uh, because it's way too high and if we have a, a coronavirus outbreak situation the risk of transmission uh is incredibly high uh given our numbers a week ago we've already taken significant steps to reduce the density in our shelters by expanding a couple of other situations yeah because uh, just to briefly explain what i do my my role in in homeless outreach in my day job is uh, is basically solving problems. Most of the time, the problem is lack of housing. 
but um, you know, I have I have a saying that unless you can unless you confess to the Lufthansa heist or the great train robbery, I'm not taking to jail. Um, my job is to is to right. assist the homeless. I haven't made an arrest in eight years uh, or written a ticket. So if you look at traditional police metrics of performance, I'm a bad cop. But my my role is it's it's all or nothing, and we experimented with that when when I started. That it's all or nothing. You can't uh, you can't be Monday, Wednesday, Friday. I'm issuing tickets and clearing clearing encampments. But on Tuesday and Thursday, you can contact me, and I'll be glad to help you. It's got to be one or the other. I'd like to see right. more more. And I think that our that. homeless outreach team is largely that, but unfortunately, they are not the uh, leading source of contact uh, with with the this population um and i you know unfortunately and and so we don't have that uh i mean i'm happy that we have a homeless outreach team and they're doing it and and that they're doing the job that they're doing but right now I, I personally i feel like you know all of our police contact should be educational uh and we should be following the best practices which we're not and uh, right. and so there's a lot of desperation. I, I don't know. You mentioned that you're already out there. I mean, we're seeing uh, we do. So the choir has stopped our rehearsals because of the the uh, the requirements uh, that are in place around gatherings. Uh, you know, normally we'd have 80 to 100 people on a Friday. And well, obviously we can't do that. We have moved those online, but we also have started a nutritional support program in, uh, in alliance with the San Diego Food Bank. And we've expanded that to three days a week now. Uh, typically, we used to deliver five, 600 pounds of food a week. We delivered 5,000 pounds of food this week. People are starving on the streets because a a lot of the traditional organizations churches and just individuals that went out on the street and provided food and sandwiches and toiletries have withdrawn from providing those services and b you know uh, homeless people are you know have our unsheltered population knew where they could go the back of a grocery store the back of a restaurant to dumpster stop to dumpster dive for food that was tossed out at the end of the day well that's gone panhandling's gone so uh, people are, are, are really, really struggling on and hurting on the street right now. So we, we're trying to fill in the blanks. Uh, we are also providing a phone charging station seven days a week from 10 a.m. to 2 p.m. Uh, because libraries are closed, Starbucks is closed, all the places that people used to plug in their devices uh, don't exist anymore. And so we were finding our choir members and other unsheltered on the street couldn't stay in touch. So we're providing that service as well. Yeah, could you could you talk about the uh, the phone charging station? I'm going to show it now here, and how did that come about, and how uh, how did you implement that? Well, so you know, as an advocate, uh, as an advocacy organization, we identify areas where there's problems and we speak to it. But where where we can, we try to step in. And in this instance, once it was recognized, uh, one of our, the same person that actually opened up her space to a shelter, Martha Sullivan, uh, contact reached out to me and said, I'm thinking about doing a mobile charging thing. And I said, well, you know, we're really not using the space where we rehearse in like we used to. Uh, let me see if we can just do something fixed there so people could come every day. So she got it started and, you know, and did the first couple of days. And then we took it over and, 
in cooperation with the church. And uh, now we offer it. People can just drop off their devices. Uh, we don't allow people to hang out because we can't. We've got to maintain social distancing, but they can drop off their devices. They get a ticket and come back uh, by 2 p.m. and pick it up. And and uh, and hopefully it'll be fully charged at that point. That's a great idea, and that's that's definitely it. I'm running into the same issues here in in my community where I work, is not, nowhere to go, nowhere to plug in. Food is definitely right. a big issue. So, kind of looking fast forwarded to if you had a crystal ball, and you could look into the future, which none of us can, but do you see this helping advocacy for the homeless? bringing more solutions after this is all over and done do you think we'll go back to to uh the way it was or do you think there's this hope for for uh, real solutions in the future what's your opinion on that so uh that's a really interesting question um i i should say that um you know, I've been following COVID-19 since mid-February or mid-January and uh, and was alerting our not-for-profit that this was probably coming our way and going to have some pretty serious impact uh, on our community and our operations. And it, and it has. It's affected us. I didn't get to mention up front that half of our uh, operating budget comes from performance fees. Uh, we, uh, we've had to cancel about $25,000 worth of uh, revenue performances uh, and, of course, the associated do- donations that would have come at those uh, performances. Um, so that's that's been problematic for us. Uh, but we're we're being able to we're being allowed to repurpose some grants uh, on the ground. I believe that it is going to have a long term positive impact, unlike hepatitis A, because of the 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 threat of this particular virus and and its potential to really rip through this community because of issues with social distancing and shelters and 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 the fact that it's an already immunocompromised community, even without any other health conditions, just because of sleep deprivation and the intensity of the environment. So I believe and I and I think I can speak for our leadership, our regional task force, many of our philanthropic organizations that I've been engaged with through this process, that we believe that this is, you know, once we have provided shelter and adequate solutions for people in place, it's going to be difficult to withdraw. And we're going to be able to use this opportunity to really gather more data about the needs of this population uh, at an individual level, which is really what it takes. You, you, you can't be a system providing services to to solve homelessness you have to be an individual solutions based uh uh uh, process that starts with the individual so i believe that we're going to do that i know this part the uh the hotel rooms that we where we are placing seniors and and high-risk populations are um the intention is that those folks will never go back to the street now, I don't know how we're, how that's going to move forward and what that solution is going to look like. But uh, the goal is if we put you in a hotel because you're over 65 or have a pre-existing condition and are over 55, that we not return you to the street. Um, so I that's a positive. Uh, and I think that, you know, I believe we were we will identify that we are much better off sheltering this population than having to spend money like this or creating, you know, the risk 
environment that we have by allowing people uh, or forcing people to live on the streets. Let's just be honest. Right. And now people are looking to you. You're you're a leader in San Diego. Did you ever think you would be in this position where people are looking at you for solutions? Um, How did you become an advocate and how did you kind of kind of uh, get so involved in San Diego? So it's, you know, when I when I first became unsheltered and started working with uh, a therapist and a psychiatrist at uh, Father Joe's clinic here, uh, it's funny because, you know, like many, many people that are on our streets, I was angry, frustrated, depressed. I had, uh, you know, I had attempted suicide three or four times at that point by that point in time. And, uh, you know, I didn't see a future. And and as I started working with my therapists and, and psychiatrists here, one of the things they said at that point five years ago was, I see you becoming an activist. And I thought to myself, oh, right, <laughs> that's not happening. Uh, and so sure enough, here I am, you know, doing this work. Um uh, yeah, really, really aggressively. It's, it's a full-time profession for me now. In fact, uh, most recently the choir just, uh, uh, I, I had a number of different hats that I used to wear. I used to do all of our operations and production work as well as set up our accounting system and sort of operated as a CFO. And, and, uh, gratefully just before this all happened, I, I, I got refocused entirely on advocacy and outreach and I'm really, really happy with that role. That's allowing me the time to engage with folks on the streets, to increase our food bank services during this time. Uh, I'm, I am trying to be the best uh, uh, source of information to other advocates and, and on Twitter and Facebook. Uh, and I'm also doing my best to hold, you know, to recognize our successes and hold us accountable where we are weak. And so, uh, I don't see this role diminishing for me anytime uh, soon. Uh, and in fact, I think it's it's probably <laughs> I've had four or five different careers at this point in my life. And I think this may be the uh, the the final one. So uh, we'll see how that goes. Yeah, it's like me. It's uh, I I wish I had this profound story of how I started working in homelessness, but it was my boss stopped me in the hall one day. Want to start a homeless outreach team? Well, sure, why not? And that was uh, eight years ago, and I'm still at it. It's definitely the the best job I have. So it it took me kind of most of my life before I I realized what I wanted to do. So if if you could wave your magic wand and ask the city of San Diego if you have a wish list other than the pandemic being over what would you say to them going forth in the future i guess the you know the good news is that in in california and within the city and the county here in san diego we have i i believe you know there have been many plans in the past and 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 long-term advocates point that out and i try not to be pollyannish but i do sense that the tides are changing here and that we're we're seeing changes not only in leadership but attitudes and perceptions of the of of our approaches to the unsheltered community so i feel positive moving forward in the short term i i really you know i, I 
I wish that tomorrow we would take all of our enforcement efforts that are currently impacting this population and turn that around into education because the misinformation on the street right now is incredible. Uh, our policies toward this population by forcing them to break up camps every morning, move around, are creating not only medical issues and exacerbating medical issues, but they're creating, uh, uh, making this a population a, a massive vector uh, by forcing it to mix and mingle and continuously move around as opposed to delivering services in place where they are. Uh, and so I see that as high risk. Moving forward, uh, you know, I, I think we have the convention center. I think we still have to look at, you know, San Diego County is a large geographic region and we need more solutions than just the centralized convention center. And we know as advocates that some people can't, are, are not able to adapt to a high volume, high density, or even in this case, you know, moderate density because of uh, social distancing requirements environment. And we also need to have alternative solutions. We need to create spaces throughout the county where we are going to allow people to stabilize, whether that's a block, a street, a, a camp, whatever that looks like. Uh, for those people who moving indoors with a bunch of other people is not okay, we need to we need to provide solutions for them. If you're living in the Sandy city of San Diego, we didn't pass the uh, no matter what how you feel about it, we didn't pass Measure C, the Convention Center bond measure that had some money in it for homelessness. Um, but we do have the Housing Federation bond measure in the fall. That is our path to long-term solutions. That's the only amount of, that's the amount of funding. Actually, we need more, but that's the truly significant amount of funding that we need to be building more affordable and low-income housing. Uh, here in this uh, county and city. So, John, we were talking to uh, John Braid from the Voice of Our City Choir in San Diego. Um, John, how can people reach out to you, contact you, and particularly donate to you to you and the, the choir? What is what's the what's the best way to do that? How can how can they get hold of you? So, the best way to reach me is my email address, which is J. Brady, B-R-A-D-Y, at voicesofourcity.org. Or you can reach out to me on Twitter at, at SD Homeless Voice. And, uh, and then you can also go to our website, uh, voicesofourcity.org. We are a registered 501c3 and donate, make a tax donate, uh, tax deductible donation. I will tell you, because we've moved from 500 to 5,000 pounds of food a week and upped our delivery and staffing costs around that, that uh, that we desperately need to raise an incremental $7,500 to $10,000 just to continue these operations through uh, the end of the month. And I foresee them going on much longer than that. Uh, so if you can make a donation during this period of time to help our unsheltered community here in San Diego, please do. We would greatly appreciate it. And your money is going to help a lot of people. All right, John. Yeah, I really appreciate you being on, on the podcast today. You're my, my very first guest. Uh, I hope it wasn't too painful. And no. uh, we, uh, <laughs> we appreci appreciate your, uh, your time and uh, being with us uh, today. Any final thoughts or anything to, to pass along? Before? Um. 
yeah, I, I, to anybody who's out there uh, watching this, that uh, if if you've got extra food, uh, toiletries, uh, in, anything like that, and uh, feel comfortable and are not putting yourself at risk because of a pre-existing condition or age, uh, getting that to a service organization around you, or or just giving to giving to somebody on the street. Uh, this is probably the most desperate time I've seen for our unsheltered uh, ever. Uh, uh, and so uh, we're, we need your help. Thank you. All right, John, I really appreciate stay safe out there in San Diego and uh, appreciate you being on the show today. Thanks so much. Thanks for having me. Yeah.